The following presentation was recorded at the Newbury Buddhist Monastery, Victoria, Australia. Please visit our website at nbm.org.au. Good evening and welcome to the Monday night Buddhist Society of Victoria meditation evening. Um, my name is Ajahn Nisarano. I think many of you will probably know who I am. I'm an Australian monk who's been ordained for 23 years. With uh, I was originally ordained with Ajahn Brahm. And uh, 14 of those years I've spent in Sri Lanka and now I am resident in Newbury Buddhist Monastery outside Melbourne. And it's a very cold, a cold evening here and a bit rainy, so it's a good, good evening for meditation. And just to mention that if you have any comments you'd like to make, you can make them in the YouTube live chat. That's the column on the side, if you can see that. And the format for this evening's talk, as always, will be an introduction for about 15 minutes or so, and then a guided meditation, and then it says here a bell, we'll have a bell, and, and then uh, questions, comments afterwards, comments or Q&A as they call it. And uh, so that will be the format for this evening. And as always, I like to have a theme for the guided meditation, and I think it's very uh, useful, skillful for our practice to have these themes. So I'll start, uh, unusually for a Monday night meditation uh, evening, with a Pali verse. Arogya paramalabha santuti paramangdanang visasa paramanyati nibbana paramang sukhang. So for the Pali scholars that's easy, <laughs> but I'll give the English translation for everyone else. This is, it says, health is the most precious gain contentment the greatest wealth. A trustworthy person is the best relative. Nibbana, the highest happiness. So you'll probably be wondering, what is he going to be talking about tonight? And of course it will be contentment is the greatest wealth. So I'd like to start by mentioning these triggers for contentment. And one of the ones that I notice very much, and I'm sure many people listening to this will have noticed, that Buddha statues are very popular. And uh, I see them in Melbourne, in gardens, and often uh, in quite a few gardens, actually, you see a Buddha statue sitting quietly and calmly under a tree. And all these garden centers we have here, I hear, have Buddha statues too. And this is an interesting phenomenon. You think, well, why is this the case? You know, we don't see uh, um, uh, other uh, religious leaders' statues around uh, in people's gardens and so on. One of the reasons, of course, is that uh, the Buddha himself was born under a tree, enlightened under a tree, and passed away under a tree. So it is quite fitting to have have a Buddha statue in the garden. It's not disrespectful. <laughs> So why is it the case that these people, non-Buddhists, along with Buddhists, have the, these Buddha statues? And of course, one of the reasons that you know you just see when you look at a Buddha statue, a very, some Buddha statues, not all of them, of course, some have this very pleasing appearance. And part of that pleasing appearance 
I'd say there's two aspects to it. And, and the most striking, of course, is that it's very peaceful, serene and calm. And when we see the, uh, this uh, a Buddha statue like that, if it really um, connects, we connect with it, it brings up a similar emotion. We feel calmer and more peaceful. And it can bring a sense of acceptance of things as they are. But the other aspect we can notice with a Buddha statue is that this gentle, often, not all of them have this, but uh, I think the, the ones that I like do, a gentle, warm, it's sort of an inner smile. And that can bring up feelings of this inner contentment and happiness, a feeling, you know, of contentment. It's like a feeling of satisfaction. And it comes with it, uh, brings with it a sense of steadiness which is very useful for meditation. But uh, we can th see that there are other things that also bring up this feeling of what I call the inner smile, uh, contentment. And this will be the focus, the theme for this evening, this inner smile. And sometimes it can be another person's smile, you know, a very genuine a smile, a heartwarming smile can touch us deeply. And it's, it's on, on some occasions it can be like a real gift. I know people have told me on uh, their experience feeling very down or low, and then they just see somebody with a very warm, maybe a stranger, just a very warm, genuine smile, and that really can lift them. So this can bring up this sense of inner contentment, inner happiness. And uh, photos can do that too. You know, if we have photos that's got a person who's got this very heartwarming, genuine smile, and they can bring up that sense of contentment. I often find this with photos of Ajahn Brahm. There are many other people who, you know, you can really see this genuine uh, smile that come, that we can connect with. And, of course, you know, um, another way, it's quite interesting, if we, even if we're not feeling like uh, very happy, if we actually put smile, put a smile on our face, it brings up, it affects the mind, and it's quite a interesting phenomena that even though this is external, it's the we call them the happy muscles, uh, it can affect the mind, and of course, that's um, you know that's not the case when we feel like we're just putting it on for appearances, that's not the case. But if we do it, if we do smile just for ourselves, really, it can actually bring that happiness into the mind, can affect the mind. And this developing, you may think, well, what's this got to do with meditation? But it's got a lot to do with the Buddha's path and meditation because it's developing a positive emotion and uh, when we develop these positive emotions, it helps us to avoid and let go of negative emotions. And it's much easier to use a positive emotion to let go of a negative emotion before it has come up. Because once a negative emotion has got a hold on the mind, it's difficult to let go of it. It's quite a quite a... Uh, difficult task. So an emotion like anger or jealousy, once it's got, it's taken hold, then it's quite difficult to, to let go of. So these developing a positive emotion can allow us to avoid those negative emotions. And also it 
uh, in the same, by avoiding them, we don't need to let go of them. And this, of course, is what the Buddha calls right effort, as part of the Noble Eightfold Path. And it's a preparation, right effort's a preparation for developing the other last three factors of the, of the Noble Eightfold Path, for developing mindfulness, uh, this coming into the present moment, uh, letting go of the past and the future, being with what we're experiencing. And the other aspect of mindfulness, remembering the Buddha's instructions. And then as the mindfulness becomes more continuous, and they often use the image of a tap dripping, drip, 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 and then it becomes more and more of a stream and then a continuous stream. And when that mindfulness becomes continuous, it develops into samadhi, into this stillness, this one-pointedness of mind, which lets go of all the negative aspects of the mind, albeit temporarily. So we can use this uh, inner smile of the Buddha or, or the inner smile we see of uh, in a, a person we've met or a photograph or even this physical uh, <laughs> outer smile, generate the inner smile. But we can use it to develop these positive emotions in ourselves. And uh, one that is particularly contentment, but it gives also a sense of inner joy and happiness. And it's lovely because when we are content, we don't have a lot to do. We can feel at ease. We can be at home with ourselves. And one of the phrases I like that captures this sense of contentment is, happy to be here uh, and uh, happy to be here when it's pleasant is fine but when we if we really develop it we can be happy to be here even when things are not the way we like that we'd like them to be and it's that sense of we can develop a sense of satisfaction because when we have content we, we feel like we lack nothing and we feel a sense of plenty um, even though you know we may not have a lot materially and as I said it gives it uh, helps us let go of wanting uh, either the wanting to get things a desire to get things and the wanting to get rid of things this is very important in meditation because these two can really um, uh, bias the meditation they can really um, sidetrack the meditation when we want a lot for the meditation we want to develop these deep meditations or deep insights or we're trying to get rid of something you know like we've had a very unpleasant experience during the day and we just want to black, blo uh, block it out so this um, letting go of wanting and, and, and wanting to get rid of things um, it brings a sense of balance to the mind and, and the mind is no longer pulled by wanting and no longer pulled by aversion um, because wanting is desire, of course, and aversion is this ill will, not wanting something. And, of course, I, I like uh, Ajahn Brahm's uh, uh, very pithy statement, but I always think of it, I think of it very often, Contentment is not having what you like, it's liking what you have. Isn't that brilliant? It's so simple, but it goes to the heart of what contentment is. Contentment is not having what you like, it's liking what you have. 
And when we develop this contentment, it can have, it's very useful in meditation, which I'll talk about in a moment, but it can also uh, help us in our lives because when we, it can help us simplify our lives by reducing our desires. Because contentment gives us a sense of we have enough. And with that feeling of having enough, we can also develop gratitude. We can be thankful, oh, I've got all this. And really, we all know that the four basics that we need are food, clothes, shelter and medicine. That's it. But of course, you know, when we have a lot of desire, and this is what, uh, um, you know, society generally encourages, the economy encourages us, we can have better food, we can have better clothes, uh, better shelter and better medicines. And, you know, there's no end to that, really. We can get better jobs, better partners. <laughs> we can do, do all these sorts of things. But it's very important to see, and Ajahn Brahm mentions this, that contentment is the fast track to enlightenment. So it's very important for meditation because the mind is balanced. Um, and I usually encourage this uh, in meditation, developing a positive emotion and combining it with the object. Usually I use the breath, but you can use other objects like the feet when you're walking. You can use metta, uh, loving kindness, a compassion meditation, and many other uh, ways we can do it. Even when we do scanning the body, you know, when you scan the body from head to toe, you can have this feeling of a positive feeling with it, like loving kindness or whatever. And it makes the purpose of combining these two, why I do this, is it makes it easier to stay with the breath because the breath or whatever object you're using is so much more attractive. Because this is one of the problems uh, meditators, especially when we are beginning, have, is that the breath is not an exciting object. It's not intrinsically fascinating. So we do a bit of um, uh, decoration, what do you say, uh, internal decoration. And we have this uh, beautiful feeling or this positive feeling in the mind and we combine it with the breath and then the breath will become much, much more interesting because it's got this three-dimensional aspect to it. And in this case, tonight, contentment. But also when we develop contentment, or any of the other positive emotions, um, we are abandoning, we're letting go of the five hindrances to meditation. And I think most people uh, will be aware of those, that sensual desire. That sounds very, you know, uh, it sounds, well, what is sensual desire? You think it sounds a bit sort of exotic. Um, any thoughts connected with the world of the five senses. So it can be thinking about football, it can be thinking about what we watched on TV, or a nice cup of tea, or the meal we had last week uh, at a restaurant, whatever it is that uh, is, uh, comes to the mind. And uh, when we, uh, so this sensual desire, when we overcome that, it gives rest to the mind and it also means it can bring stillness to the mind. Because this wanting, as I mentioned before, craving, wanting, desire, creates a lot of work for us actually. And in meditation, once we can let go of it, abandon it to some degree, 
we'll find the mind comes to peace and stillness quite naturally. Because this is disturbing the mind. And and the other things that do, are the other four that the Buddha mentions, is ill will, this is negativity, obviously going to disturb the mind and block the meditation. Not only the meditation, the Buddha said, it blocks wisdom. And uh, drowsiness and dullness, and this is... uh, these uh, states of you know tiredness of the body and the mind are very common, and especially you know if one is working comes uh, you know and you're meditating in the evening you may feel tired and this is natural, and it's very good when we feel tired to accept that and not to fight too much let it let it be, and then let it pass and that's a good way of dealing with it. I have seen meditators nodding amazingly and it looks most painful actually as the head almost reaches the ground. So don't be like that. (laughs) So just let it pass. And the other one, the last two are restlessness and worry, that sort of agitation of the mind, the excitement in the mind and worry, concern with what we've done or said in the past. And uh, and can also be worry, I guess, about the future, and doubt. That's the last of the five hindrances. So these things can be overcome by a positive state of mind, and especially contentment will overcome desire. It will overcome, to a large extent, ill will. And these are the two main components of the five hindrances. The others are a little bit of a combination of those two qualities. And when I was thinking, uh, I often mention this when I talk about the inner smile meditation, that Ajahn Brahm's first meditation teacher, he was a a Thai man in Britain. Uh, I think he used to teach at the Samatha Trust, which is where I think Ajahn Brahm first learned meditation. He may have come to Cambridge, actually, university as well. And his advice to Ajahn Brahm, is advice I've never heard any other meditation teacher give. Nobody's ever suggested it to me, but I, I've never heard of it before. He said to Ajahn Brahm, in them every, he'd like him every morning to go to the mirror and to smile at himself. Sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? <laughs> Why would a meditation teacher say that? He said, and if you can't manage your smile, which some mornings it may be difficult, use your two fingers at the edges of your mouth and push the the mouth up so that it forms a smile. I have tried this, actually. It looks so ridiculous that you do smile, you start laughing, actually. It looks really silly. But Ajahn Brahm said he actually practiced this for two years, which is pretty good. And in his, uh, uh, I think it was in Opening the Door of the Heart, he says, and people say he smiles a lot, doesn't he ever? And maybe this is why, but I think he, we had that sunny disposition, really. But I do wonder, why would any meditation teacher give this advice to a student? I, I just wondered. And the, the only thing I could come up with was that Ajahn Brahm, then at least, was very serious. And his meditation teacher thought, he needs to lighten up. <laughs> That's what I thought when I, when I hear that, putting two and two together. And I remember, um, if, uh, and I can recommend this to you too, if you want to see very early photographs of, or videos of Ajahn Brahm, there's one from 1978, 79, 
in Thailand when he was at uh, the International Forest Monastery in Northeast Thailand. And he was only a very junior monk, four, four years in the robes, I think then, 1975, yeah. And they made, an Irish a, a television team made a documentary about what, what, uh, at the International Forest Monastery, what Nana Chat. And they called it Blue Eyes and Saffron Robes. Well, if you want to see some interesting footage of Ajahn Brahm, see him there. He doesn't smile at all. He looks really serious. Um, but I have heard from others, you know, and I think other monks say it too. Even then, he used to joke a lot, but certainly not on this video. If you see it, you think, my goodness, he's serious, isn't he? And it was interesting too, because Ajahn Brahm, I remembered that he mentioned the reason he ordained in the Thai tradition. And you might think, well, it's because of all the great Thai meditation masters, you know, Ajahn Mahabur, Ajahn Chah, all these fantastic meditation masters. But he said, no, it was because the monks at the Thai temple in London, he said they smiled a lot. <laughs> And that was the reason he thought of ordaining with Thailand, because he got that connection with them, because he felt relaxed with them, felt a connection, and then they would have suggested, you know, if you wish to ordain, you know, because he must have asked, where could I ordain, to go to Thailand. And I must say, too, for myself, why did I ordain with Ajahn Brahm? Because he smiles a lot. <laughs> Because when a person, like when I, I notice when somebody smiles a lot, it makes me, me feel more relaxed. It builds up a sense of trust, a connection, and it reduces fear and worry, you know, with that person. And uh, certainly everybody who uh, has been exposed to Ajahn Brahm's teaching and his, uh, his being, his presence, is aware of all the humor he uses. And it has that effect. It can immediately change where our minds are at, relax us and uh, make us open, reduce fear and worry and make us open to listening to what he has to say. So now we can uh, start the guided meditation. This will be about uh, 45 minutes. I've gone a bit long, I think, already. But So if you'd like to uh, find a sit on a chair or the floor or wherever you'd like, you can even stand, but it's a bit tough standing. And we can close the eyes and get in touch with the body. We can set up the body. I like to move the arms, shoulders and head a little bit to reduce any stiffness or tension. So we're getting in touch with the body and finding a sense of balance. particularly the head over the shoulders, you know, feeling that it's in a good position for the meditation. And the shoulders, you know, they're balanced over the hips. It feels sort of comfortable. And we can make any adjustments that we feel necessary to make the body uh, more balanced and more comfortable. And we can come into the present moment. 
freeing ourselves of the past and the future, who we were and who we will be, just being happy to be here in the present moment, happy to have an opportunity to met meditate together. Nowhere else we'd rather be than here in the present moment together. We're just aware of whatever moment by moment comes to our attention. We can start by relaxing the body mentally. This is a very good way to come into the present, to be with our bodies rather than, as usual, just using them. <laughs> and not noticing them until <laughs> we get painful signals. So we can start by giving attention, this kind, warm, happy-to-be-here attention to the top of the head, the back of the head, and the side of the head, this relaxing, soothing attention. And we can move our attention to the forehead and give it a good mental massage, a relaxation, soothing it, letting the creases in our forehead relax. And moving the attention down to the eyes, all around the eyes, soothing them. and the cheeks of the face. And around the mouth and the lips and the chin. And moving the attention to the neck, all around the neck, soothing it with this warm, relaxing attention. And now bringing to mind the right shoulder, starting at the neck, and we can move our attention along the right shoulder, soothing it, mentally massaging, releasing, reducing any stress, tension, stiffness in the right shoulder.
and bringing to mind the right arm, starting at the top of the right arm, and we can take in or include the elbow, the wrist, the right hand and fingers. So we can move our attention down the right arm, all around it, taking in these different parts and soothing them, giving them this warm, relaxing attention. And now we can bring to mind the left shoulder, starting at the neck and moving our attention along the left shoulder, soothing it, relaxing it as we go along the left shoulder. Now we can bring to mind the left arm, starting at the top of the left arm and moving our attention down the left arm to include the elbow, the wrist, fingers, hand and fingers, soothing them, giving them this mental massage. And now we can bring to mind the back, starting just below the shoulders and moving our attention down the back, soothing any stiff areas, tense areas, painful areas, relaxing them, giving them this 
giving it this loving kindness all the way down the back to the buttocks. Now bringing to mind the front of the body, starting below the shoulders, and we can move our attention down the front of the body to include the chest, the uh, diaphragm area where the lungs are, and the stomach and the abdomen below that, to relax them, soothe them, give special warmth, kindness to any uh, painful areas, any tense areas. Relaxing the whole of the front of the body, starting from below the shoulders. Now we can bring to mind the right leg, starting at the top of the right leg and moving our attention slowly down the right leg to include the knee, ankle, foot and toes, giving the right leg a warm mental massage.
Now bringing to mind the left leg, starting at the top of the left leg and moving our attention down the left leg to include the knee, the ankle, the foot and the toes, soothing them, relaxing them with this warm, kind attention. Now we can bring to mind the whole body, just sitting, however we find the body, just sitting here in the present moment, experiencing moment by moment the body, sounds, the warmth or coolness of the air, whatever we are aware of, moment by moment, sitting here with the body. And we can have the intention for this meditation. We can think, may my mind be filled with the warmth, ease, contentment and peace of an inner smile. And I can bring to, we can bring to mind uh, the gentle inner smile of many Buddhist statues, Buddha statues, or we can bring to mind someone's smile that really touched us, or we can physically bring a smile to our face and see if that brings up this inner smile. Or for some people, they can just go straight to this 
sense of an inner smile. And we can get in touch with the feeling that this image, whether it be a Buddha statue or somebody else's smile or even uh, the physical smile, get in touch with that feeling of the inner smile, which gives a sense of, maybe gives a sense of contentment, wanting nothing not trying to get anything or trying to get rid of anything, just be at home with ourselves. And when we become aware of the breath coming in and coming out, we can bring up this feeling and infuse or combine this feeling, warm feeling, with the breath, this feeling of contentment as we breathe in this inner smile and breathe out with this feeling of the inner smile. And for those who like mantras, maybe we could use the mantra on the in-breath at home and the mantra at home when we breathe out this to bring up or maintain the sense of the inner smile, contentment and the awareness of the breath. Just one. They are one thing. And if the mind wanders off, just, we can just remember whatever brought up this feeling of the inner smile.
And now, as we're getting close to the end of the meditation, we can bring to mind that feeling of the inner smile and to spread it or radiate it to all those participating in this guided meditation, offering it as a gift to them, this feeling of warmth, of contentment, of acceptance. And now we can expand that feeling of the inner smile, that contentment and warmth, sense of satisfaction, and offer this as a gift to all the beings, human beings, animals, insects, unseen beings, in the area in which we live, like a gift, this warm, accepting emotion of contentment, this inner smile. And we can have the thought, may you be filled with the warmth, ease, contentment and the peace of an inner smile. And now we can expand that feeling of the inner smile in ever-widening circles to include the whole earth and all realms of existence, offering them this gift, this warmth of contentment, the ease of contentment, wishing may you be filled with the warmth, ease, contentment and the peace of an inner smile.
and for a few moments we can just reflect on how we feel now. Do we feel uh, more contentment, there's more warmth of an inner smile or not? And what caused whatever feeling we experienced to arise? And we can make the aspiration to develop more of this feeling of an inner smile with everything we do. To make it a habit, to make it a refuge for ourselves. And we can anchor this feeling of the inner smile in our hearts and minds. So if you would like to come out of meditation, slowly opening the eyes and moving the body, relaxing the body. comments or questions, we can um, look at those uh, now at this time. I'll actually read in a minute, uh, I was thinking of something uh, for the meditation that really captures contentment, and uh, there's a wonderful poem that does that. I'm just trying to find... Uh, It's a lovely poem, but it's all about contentment, actually. And uh, I'll just read the, the, uh, probably a couple of verses. It's called, My mind to me a kingdom is. My mind to me is a kingdom is. My mind to me a kingdom is. Such present joys therein I find, that it excels all other bliss that earth affords or grows by kind. Though much I want, which most could would have, yet still my mind forbids to crave. And, uh, and this is nice too. Some have too much, yet still do crave. I little have and seek no more. They are but poor, though much they have, and I am rich with little store. They poor, I rich, they beg, I give, they lack, I leave, they pine, I live. So. 
And then he ends, the poem ends with, My wealth is health and perfect ease, My conscience clear, my chief defence. I neither seek by bribes to please, Nor by deceit to breed offence. Thus do I live, thus will I die, Would all did so well as I. Amazing. This poem <laughs> was written in the, uh, this is the interesting thing, 1588. And the poet is uh, an English poet, Sir Edward Dyer. And so many of the, uh, the things that he expresses are just so Buddhist. And you just wonder how someone born in 1543 uh, could write a poem like that. But he was regarded as a great poet at that time. And he passed away at the age, well, 1607, so he wasn't, uh, he was just over 60. So that's quite amazing. So if, you, if you're interested in that poem, you'll find it on the internet, everything is there. My mind to me a kingdom is. And it's a lovely poem. It just really expresses this sense, a meditative sense. Um, and also the sense of contentment is very, very strong in the poem. And it shows the connection with these states of mind, that uh, these quiet states of mind. Here's another verse, actually. Some weigh their pleasure by their lust, their wisdom by their rage of will. Their treasure is their only trust, a crooked craft, their store of skill. But all pleasure that I find is to maintain a quiet mind. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. So now, time for questions. Just Thank, keeping... thank you, Ajahn. Yes, uh, looks like an interesting Q&A session. We have received yeah. a few questions. All right. Good, good. First one. Yes. Dear Ajahn, mm -hmm. how to dissolve away a wrong view permanently instead of blaming the trigger? Thank you so much for your great teachings. Oh, how to, to dissolve a wrong view instead of permanently, instead, instead of, of blaming the trigger. trigger. The way to do that, of course, is the first stage, first stage of enlightenment. That's a permanent cure for it. Because at the first stage of enlightenment, one has seen through for oneself, you know, that there is a permanent me, a permanent self. And they call this personality view or Sakaya Ditti. And one has seen the path to liberation um, so that one doesn't believe certain practices, rites and observances, sometimes they're called, will lead to enlightenment. And one has no doubt that this is, <laughs> this is the way to enlightenment. So when had one seen that there is no permanent self here, it actually also extends to others. And then you see, no, they, is not, they haven't got a permanent self. What what I'm experiencing is this person's conditioning, all the things that have influenced them, all the things they've given attention to over their lives, just the same as me. This collection of habits and, uh, as I say, conditioning that we have. And so then we, we don't blame the trigger because we know that that person at that particular time could not say anything different could not say, do anything different from what that conditioning, what they were believing at that stage. So that becomes a, 
whenever we develop wisdom on the Buddha's path, it also leads to enormous um, compassion and kindness for people. Because we can see we're caught in this this sort of web of, a, of conditioning that makes us, uh, develops our character. It's albeit temporarily, you know, it's always changing. So that in that way, we can um, let go of permanently blaming others. Um, and because we don't, we see there's not a person there, a, you know, a stable, permanent self. And so then we don't blame them. We realize they're they are the sum of their conditioning, just as we are, <laughs> and that can change. So in that way, you know, we're seeing the processes that are running our lives, not the individuals, not seeing this other person as being utterly evil for what they've said and done. So that's a, that's a way we can do it, by experiencing the first stage of enlightenment, um, stream entry, and that is that's the way that we permanently uh, let go of uh, these defilements, negative defilements, and particularly the view that there's a permanent me and there's a permanent you. <laughs> so that's, that's, that's the way we can do it permanently. Yeah. So next Thank question, you for Richard. that. Thank you for that, yes. Uh, can you explain how to look at questions that arise in meditation? I recognize thoughts when they arise, and I go back to breath. How about questions? How about questions? Um, how about questions? Well, the questions will be uh, another thought, that's for sure. Um, but I th it's possible if the, the meditation is, you know, being derailed by it, by the thinking, it can be very often. We can, we can just ask ourselves, what, what is this, you know, thinking about? You know, um, when we ask a question, we're not, um, we're standing back a little bit, and we're not as involved. We're not being consumed by that thought, that emotion. We're looking at it and and uh, wondering where it is coming from, because that's always the Buddhist interest where is this coming from that can be useful if we can let go of it uh, during meditation it's much more useful because at the end of the meditation the mind should have a lot more peace a lot more strength and then we can look at um, these thoughts and then we can question them that's a better time to do it of course when the mind's got more power and clarity um, so we can see, you know, where these thoughts were coming from. And it's very interesting. I've noticed this with my own meditation. These thoughts seem so compelling at the time of the meditation. But after the meditation, they're like stale food. We think, who cares? <laughs> it's very interesting because at the time they occur during the meditation, they seem very relevant. But by the end of the meditation, we think, well, so what? <laughs> So, but if they're very, sometimes they can be, you know, it's pretty obvious that these thoughts are derailing the meditation. So then we must use wisdom to deal with them, you know, to, uh, to look at them, to understand them. Because in the end, it's the understanding that changes everything. But 
to develop that strength of understanding, we need a, a mind that has got some peace, some still, stillness and power in it. And so that's the advantage of looking at it towards the end of the meditation. But as I say, if it's a problem within the meditation, it's really strong, then one needs to look at it, do something, and to question it. You know, I like, um, it's good afterwards, but to question, you know, this uh, thinking, uh, like these questions, another teacher actually has these questions. Is this thought really, is this thought true? Can I really know that this thought is true? And the third one is, how do I feel when I think this thought? And the last one is really the, the one that turns it all around. How would I feel if I never thought this thought? And this can be very useful when we've got very strong negative thoughts, particularly about ourselves or about other people, blaming other people, it can be. Um, and that can be creating a lot of problems in our lives. So questioning those thoughts of thoughts that are actually shaping our views, shaping our perceptions and our thoughts is very worthwhile because for some people those thoughts can be crippling their minds, their emotions, their lives. So it's very useful. But uh, in meditation, a lot of these thoughts are just, you know, they just come into the mind because of previous attention to that area, that subject, and they come up and they haven't got that much meaning and uh, they gain strength by our giving attention to them. They get bigger and we get more interested in them. <laughs> and sometimes the interest in the thoughts, you can see it as it increases when we have less contentment, less interest in the meditation object. It's just providing an alternative entertainment for the mind like flipping through magazines in a doctor's surgery. <laughs> it's that sort of thing sometimes. So if we see, you know, this is the case, it can actually help us let go of them and um, look for that joy in the meditation, which will make the meditation object much more interesting um, and more uh, attractive for us. So we'll stay with the object. It's much easier to. We don't have to force. Force is not useful. So I hope that sort of answered your question about thought in uh, thinking in meditation. Should we question it? <laughs> good, good. Okay. Next question. If I'm content and simple, mm. or, I, or perhaps I think he means accommodating, mm. people are avoiding, neglecting, or looking down upon me and sometimes for me to be even more and more accommodating, which I can't do. How to deal with this? Yeah. Well, you know, I think with uh, contentment, like everything in the Buddha's path, you have to use wisdom with. And if you have really got contentment within yourself, you know, it doesn't matter what other people say. And in fact, you know, if one, a content person actually is uh, something that many other people will envy, you know, because uh, they don't have contentment. So if it's real contentment, it, it won't be bothered because uh, real contentment is another word for happiness. It's this stillness in the mind, the stillness of the emotions. We don't have to go anywhere. There's nothing we have to want at that particular moment, nothing we have to get rid of. 
So contentment is actually a great, as it says, greatest wealth. The Buddha says greatest wealth. Because you do feel wealthy when you, um, you know, you're content because you don't want anything else. However, that's not the way of the world. <laughs> Everybody knows that. The way of the world is to want more. And, uh, um, you know, uh, maybe if they see someone who's content, um, some people would like to disturb that, perhaps. But if it's a real contentment, you know this is the real thing. I don't need to chase after something else. Because a lot of these wanting and desires, we call them tanha, are like never-never happiness. It's always in the future. Contentment can be here and now, no matter what the circumstances, which can be, sometimes it's not pleasant circumstances. You know, we have illnesses or whatever, but we can just be content here in the moment. And in that contentment, you know, the pain or the difficulties can reduce because that resistance to how things are is being reduced. So thank you for that. I hope that I hope you're able to deal with <laughs> deal with that. Yeah. During my search of contentment, mm. I start grieving things I did not get and become quite sad and cannot move forward. What should I do? Wow, right. Now see that's interesting, isn't it? Because that's why I always say with this meditation, you know, even if, you know, we're looking at this theme of generating contentment in the mind, if another emotion comes up, it's important for for us, you know, that we look at that um, grieving for things that we we didn't get, didn't receive uh, in life. Now, that's interesting because then we can start, that's worthwhile questioning, especially at the end of the meditation, say, what was that about? Why why was I um, grieving for these things? You know, and, and oftentimes what it is, is a sense of being hard done by, that we didn't get the opportunities uh, we thought we deserved in life or the things that we thought we deserved. So it's good to find out, you know, what view we're coming from what thought is feeding that feeling because all these feelings are being fed by a thought but because some of this thinking is we've done it so often in the past it's become like a shortcut we don't see the thinking we go straight to the emotion and so uh, it can be hard to uncover the thinking that is actually feeding that you know the Whatever that is, poor me, you know, I've been hard done by, my parents haven't done the right thing, my partner hasn't, or work hasn't, or, you know, where I work hasn't, um, you know, done the right thing by me. Just to see that, uh, you know, what is actually feeding that, and to question it, you know, like I mentioned, those four questions. You know, is this really, is this true? Is it really true? And how do I feel when I think that thought? And the last one, you know, what would it be like if I never felt that thought or never thought that thought, the feelings that come with that thought. So uh, that's a that's a way of uh, investigation because the Buddha's path is all about investigating and you have to, in the end, it's not other people's answers that are important, it's your own, but to uh, certainly not believe a lot of these um, thoughts and these uh, feelings that are coming from these thoughts 
that have been built up by this view of oneself and others. So um, to investigate, good, yeah, no good. And when you investigate, you find it changes your relationship to that emotion because you're looking at it, you're not so much 100% participating in it. And that is a very, uh, that's a very important uh, thing that occurs when we investigate. We get a little bit of a distance from those emotions which can be so overwhelming otherwise. So thank you for that. Yes, good. Well, it's almost nine o'clock, Ajahn. Yes. So I think maybe it's a good time to wrap it up. We, yes, we have I one think more question, but I think it's probably a good time to. Wrap oh, well, it up. if there's one question, I can just quickly. Answer just one that. last question. Yeah, one okay. question. Yeah. Um, it's only one. I would like to listen to a number of Dharma talks and want to practice meditation always. Mm-hmm. Good. How can I be content with listening to less number of talks and meditation? Ah, oh, right. Well, if if you develop the feeling of contentment, you know, just being content with uh, the present moment, with what you're experiencing, you don't need more. And you can just be in nature and be content. You can be at home with yourself and be content. So um, it's the mind that we have, you know, of uh, wanting that that undermines contentment. And quantity is not the same as quality. <laughs> And what you're aiming at is to develop those qualities, good qualities in the mind. You know, and contentment is one of the chief ones. So thank you very much for that. And we can finish off with, because um, it's a finish, uh, with a paying homage to the Buddha, Dhamma and Sangha, those who'd like to. Please join in if you know this chant. Arahang Samma Sambuddha Bhagavā Bunhang Bhagavantang Abhivadehmi Swakatam Bhagavata Dhammo Dhammang Namasami Supati Pano Bhagavato Savaka Sango Sankang Namami Sadhu, Sadhu, Sadhu. Uh, thank you for listening, participating this evening.